Yeah. Uh, this is a moment where the joy of the Lord, uh, we need to celebrate this. This morning, what I want you to do is take a moment to go to the nativity scene. And uh, this is like a two-part series that I want you to do. And uh, I want to invite you to come on the 24th evening at 6 p.m. We are going to Eastern, 6 p.m. Eastern. We want to host a candlelight service. And uh, we're going to have like a Google Meet so we can all see each other. And then with the candles, we will sing on that day. And uh, we'll see how this is all going to flow. But this morning, I want to go to, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Luke chapter 1. I think uh, someone on the line, if you can put yourself on a mute, please. Uh, so the 26th verse, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph for the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice. Some of the virgins say, Hail. Right? Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. There is no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What is so beautiful about this passage is this. There was a period in time God was speaking to his children through Moses, then through uh, you know, Joshua, then through all the prophets. But there was a period in time that God did not speak to his people for nearly 400 years. That's the breaking point between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a 400 years of God not speaking to anybody, right? And then after 400 years, this is the first thing that is happening. And here, the angel of the Lord, the Gabriel, one of the archangels, is actually making an appearance and speaking to two people. Actually, six months before this, just like the word says, angel was speaking, 
to Zechariah, uh, Zacharias, and Elizabeth about a baby that's going to be born. But now here is a very critical point in the history. The history changed. The calendars changed. The Julian calendars are rearranged. This is a moment in time where Jesus, the birth of Jesus is being announced. And we've seen this. Like, if, if we think about like a Christmas story, we, we see Mary, which is a central figure that is there in, in, in the nativity scene and the Christmas story. We see uh, the king named Herod. Uh, and we're going to look at uh, all of these characters one by one. Uh, we see Joseph and uh, Joseph's life. Uh, we, we think that Joseph is a poor man. That's why we, we're thinking of him like a, someone building uh, uh, or cutting wood. We'll see who he is. Uh, he, uh, and then we, we see the shepherds in the field hearing about the, the good news. And we see the three wise men coming from the east. So all these, we've heard stories. We've heard the messages. We have heard so many of them in the past. So there is nothing new that I'm going to be saying here. We're just going to ponder, just like what we did this morning. It's just like, you know, a cheerful moment to just look at the same story one more time. This study of Luke chapter 1 has been done so many times by so many pastors. I've done an amazing message. So nothing new, but we're just going to cherish. Right? This morning, I want to look at just one character uh, that, uh, out of the six uh, sets of characters. In fact, before we wrap up this Christmas story, we will look at Elizabeth, we'll look at Anna, we'll look at Simeon, but we will do just like a character study for the next one or two weeks, right? So this morning, I want to talk about Mary, right? There is a reason why God chooses people on earth to carry his mission. He doesn't do a random job with anyone. He doesn't do a random job with you. He doesn't do a random job with me. There is a purpose for every one of us, right? And the purpose for Mary was to carry the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of this earth, to just like be born from her womb. Isn't that amazing? God chose Mary among many of these girls that were living in that time. In fact, there were a lot of materials written about Mary, right? The Catholic Church has been talking so high about Mary, the Immaculate Conception. In fact, there is a church in Rome, um, a Catholic church, where they have like a Jesus, like a taking a crown and putting on Mary's head to be a queen. I mean, there's like a one end is a Catholic church goes to the, you know, an extreme part of like a raising Mary as a mediator and, and uh, Mary as someone who can give grace to people, the immaculate conception, and all those things were happening there. There's, there's not much of a truth there for most of what is being claimed, right? But on the other hand, the Protestant church has been, you know, devaluing Mary's existence with so much of like, a, you know, messaging around like how she had another baby and all those things. But really, who is this Mary? Right? There's three times in this verse and the one verse coming later in verse 42, uh, the, 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 the Mary has been talked about as someone highly favored. The thing is this, Mary was the only one who was there at the birth of Jesus and she was the only one that was at his deathbed on the cross. So the thing is, that's why let's go and ponder upon the life of Mary. There are some things that we can absolutely learn from Mary. And the thing is this, in this one, angel comes and gives a message. You're highly favored. And what is the angel saying? You're going to be pregnant. And you're not going to be pregnant because of like a natural way. You're pregnant because of God. And the thing is this, 
in those days, in the biblical days of like when this was happening, if Mary was going to go and tell this to somebody, because there is no witness here, she could be stoned to death, right? But she took it. She did not waver even a second, right? She found God to be uh, someone that she could rely on. She uses the word made servant, a slave. We'll look at it in, in more detail. But here's the thing. God will give birth in you and me another Savior if only we live like Mary. And that's what I wanted to go after. The, the thing is, when we look at Mary, there are five characteristics, or maybe six, we'll see how it goes, right? That, that I wanted to look at this morning as we go through this journey and then see what we can apply for us today, right? The number one character trait about Mary is Mary is real. Mary is not a fictitious figure um, because there is like always these critics are saying there is no writings outside of Bible about Mary. There is always writing about Jesus always writing about like uh, the, the prophets and uh, writing about the, the uh, disciples and apostles, but there was no written, historical written evidence about Mary outside. So they probably are thinking she's uh, a pigment of someone's imagination, right? That's why they think uh, she is a fictitious character, but that's not true. In fact, Constantine's mother, Helena, in the 300 AD, went to Israel. She looked for various evidence. This is how God works, right? He never does leave any of his subject area with ambiguity. He, he has a, a perfect plan. So what he did is like he sends Constantine's mother, Helena, into Israel. So she goes and finds out all the details, and in fact, one of the things that she has done is she has built a church on top of every historical moment that was recorded. She, she just like called a historian. She called and interviewed, and she just went after to find out the truth, and she built a temple and churches on top of every historical moment. In fact, she even had a church built on what we believe as the house of Mary on that place. She's built a big, beautiful temple, right? She's recording it. And she, that's the recorded proof that, that we still have. Mary's mom's name is Anna. And her dad's name is Joachim. And, and the thing is this, uh, the, the, this again, the, because of like the Catholic Church wants to give the importance, they actually have given Mary's mo mother, Anna, uh, a, a saint uh, category. And the thing is that they recorded her as a saint. And so we do have a proof uh, of where Mary's mom and Mary's dad were living. There is a town near Nazareth, right? That town's name is Sephorus, Sephorus, right? It's a village next to, to the, the, the town called Nazareth. Nazareth is in Galilee. Nazareth is one of the run-down cities. The towns that existed in those days. But next to this rundown town called Nazareth, there was a big hill. And in the hill, there was a city named Sephorus, right? Sephorus is an archaeological site that's located even today in Galilee, right? And because this was on the hill, there, there was like a lot of money that was poured into this town named Sephorus, right? And, and the rich people lived in that time. In fact, Herod Antipas, the one who killed John the Baptist and beheaded his head, 
He wanted to make this city, Sephoris, as a fancy city, right? And in fact, Josephus, an historian, has called Sephoris the jewel of Galilee. Why? Because this king of this town wanted to make this place called Sephoris as a town where the money is exchanged. This is a town like a New York. He wanted to build a New York on top of Sephoris, right? And also, he made Sephoris as a town where the political leaders will live, like Washington, D.C. It's the combination of D.C. and New York of this time. A lot of people were exchanging money. This was like a banking center. He even wanted to make this like a jewel of Galilee. And so he built this beautiful city and brought all the archaeological stuff. And the king lived in the city, right? And the thing is this. Jesus would have seen this city from Nazareth. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14, he's saying a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He would have seen from Nazareth this town that is on that hill that is so bright. That's got like all these beautiful, you know, structured buildings up there. And Mary is from this town named Sephoris. That's where the temple is actually built around her house, right? And Mary's father was a scroll scholar. He is the one who reads and protects the scrolls. And he's the one who is actually working with the content of the scrolls in the temple. Right? So he spent most of his time in the temple. And because of that, you know, Mary would have had access to the temple. It's like this. If you're a pastor's son or a daughter, you will end up being in the church most oftentimes, more than anybody in the town. You would be the one who spent a lot of time in the temple. So the same way, Mary would have spent a lot of time in this temple, right? So there is no way that we can accept the fact that Mary's character was fictitious. She was real. And she existed in this town named Sephoris. And her dad probably was one of the wealthiest men uh, in that town as well because the rich people were living in this town. But more than that, here's what happened. Mary's father and mother at one point were going to get alienated from the temple. And the reason why they were going to get alienated from the temple is because they didn't have a baby. Mary wasn't born to this couple at a young age. And the, and the, and the, and the temple authorities thought this is not a good publicity or a good advertisement for the temple to have somebody who didn't have a baby. And so they were going to alienate Mary's father and mother out of the temple. And they went to pray, and they prayed and prayed and prayed, and finally Mary was born. When she was born, they dedicated her to the temple. And so even more so, Mary was living and breathing inside the temple. And there are so many evidence that we have about this woman named Mary that carried the king of kings and a lot of lords. And in fact, the, the recently there was a study that was made by National Geographic, and they talk about like the biblical days and the biblical periods. And uh, they talk about like, uh, you know, when was someone like Mary's age get betrothed to a man? And it's often time, it's anywhere between the ages 12 and 14. So when we talk about these verses, that we are reading from the Luke chapter 1 and 2 and Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Mary was still in the age range of 12 to 14, right? And so this girl, this 12-year-old girl, 
the angel is appearing and speaking to her, right? And so the first one is like there is enough evidence out there. Mary is not a fictitious character. There is enough historical evidence about her. The second one character trait that I want to look at Mary is that Mary is very humble. There are two places that we see Mary's response in this first chapter of Luke. The first one, after the angel says, blessed are you among women, or you're highly favored, here's what Mary is just like. After that angel explained to her that she's going to be a mom conceived by the Holy Spirit, here's what Mary is saying. How can this be? since I do not know a man, right? She's not arguing with the angel saying, why? This is not going to be good. I am not going to be favored. People are going to stone me to death. She didn't say like that. She was saying, how is this possible? I want to understand. I don't know how did a 12-year-old girl had this kind of a maturity in talking to an angel. At this point, I don't know whether we will have today that kind of a maturity to talk to an angel. Angel appears, Gabriel's appearing in a thin air and talking to Mary, right? And so the angel goes on to explain to her that this is possible because of this way and all these things. And then at the end, it's, uh, the angel says on the 37th verse, uh, for God, nothing is impossible. That's it. It's all settled for Mary. It's a done deal. She didn't want to go any further. In fact, the next verse says, I am the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. She accepted it as is from God. He just humbled herself. In fact, the original translation of this word maidservant is actually slave, right? There are two kinds of people in those days were living um, or hired to do the work. There were servants that would come into the house, do certain work, get paid for their work, and then they will leave. Whereas there are some other people that work in the master's house that are slaves, right? And she's actually referring to the word slave here because the slaves never leave the master's house. They will stay in master's house, do the work, and never get paid because they were bought over by the master. They were purchased by the master. And Mary is actually using the term that the master has bought me over. I am humble. I, I will take this. Whatever come, that I will not leave this word because the one that's conceived is, 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 is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So she just accepted it and she humbled herself to accept that because she knows she could be stoned to death. But the thing is this, if we scroll down on Luke chapter one to the verse 48, she's even saying she regarded the lowly state of the maid servant. She's talking about herself in such a state that she would accept God's call in her life. When people say, let's get into the Christmas spirit, all they're saying is like in these days when we hear the term, let's get into the Christmas spirit, all they're saying is let's go buy some gifts and do all these things. But here is a Christmas spirit that Mary is bringing. She is humbling herself before the king She's showing the Christmas spirit. She's saying God stepped out of heaven and showed up on earth. She's saying like, oh my goodness, I cannot even believe this God would step out and just like come into a human form and stay here. Because Mary was built for this moment in time. There were so many girls that were expecting a, a, a Messiah to be born during this time. There were so many girls that stayed virgin because they were expecting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to be born into their body and they were ready to give. But in the midst of all, 
God chose Mary, a clean vessel, upon whom that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will reside and come out of her body. And that's what made Mary humbling herself, knowing her true spirit. This is what the Beatitudes is talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. She was carrying that blessedness, that moment in time. The third characteristic is that Mary is a worshiping woman. After hearing the message, she gets a chance to go visit her cousin Elizabeth in a town. And look at the verses. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to verses 46 to 55. Look at what Mary is doing. After talking to Elizabeth, she's singing a song. And look at this beautiful song that she's singing. What is she doing? She's actually worshiping God, hearing the good news. She's saying, singing, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She's saying, how low I am. But God is just like a use to this vessel to be called as blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She's worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at this point in time. She would have been a worship leader if she was living in this time. And what is so beautiful about this passage that she's worshiping, not only she's just worshiping, random words are not coming out of her mouth. In fact, the verses, I'm going to read one more time, these verses after I've done till like a 48. The 49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our father, to Abraham and to his seed. What is so beautiful about this song that she's singing? It's not like she had a time to just like write down the song that he, she just sang. If it was like a Maria Carey, this would have been like a, a, a big deal. Like she would have just like made all the media come so she can actually talk to them about like a, what a beautiful song I wrote. But here, it was the fullness of her heart, the abundance of her heart, she's overflowing this verses. And what is so beautiful about this song is that it has reference to 15 scriptures from Old Testament. She must have memorized the scriptures. She, she, she in this verses, referring to five books of the Old Testament, that was in the first five books of the Old Testament. She's referring to the verses from there. She's referring to the book of Pro the, the books written by the prophets. Each of these verses that she's saying actually has a reference back to something that she has learned when she was in the temple. This worship that she has is not about her. This worship is about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. She's turning her stuff into being absorbed by God. Here's what it is. Verse 46 says, My soul magnifies the Lord. She's not quoting herself in here. She's actually quoting from Psalm 34, 2, which says, I will boast only in the Lord. Right? And the verse 46, uh, 47 says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Referring to Isaiah 45, 21, where it says, 
for there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. 48 says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, referring to the Hannah's prayer that's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11. It says, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my... She's going and quoting the words from what Hannah was praying in the temple. And when she says, behold, henceforth all generations will be called blessed, the worst second part of 48. She's referring to Genesis chapter 30, where Leah was praying on how she is blessed. 49 says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. She's referring to Psalm 126.3. The Lord has done great things for me, and we are glad. 49, and his name, the holy, and holy is his name. And it's referring to Psalm 111.9. Holy and awesome is his name. The word of God was just like a soaked in her so much that even what comes out of her mouth is just like what is glowing in her, the scripture that's glowing in her. She is just like an overflowing. That's why God chose Mary as a vessel, because she was carrying his word in all of her being, all the clusters of his body, of her body and the mind and soul was soaked in the word of God. And God paid a closer attention to her lifestyle. A teenage girl, can you imagine a 12-year, a 13-year-old girl? We think of her as like some matured woman because of the pictures that we see, like a Mary as some matured woman, because her mind was matured, but she wasn't at this time and time. She's a 13-year-old girl singing a song for the Lord and soaked herself in the word. That's why it's an amazing characteristic that God just cherished in Mary and giving her an ability. There was no internet. There was no written Bible. There was no concordance. But still, she remembered those words, the scrolls, when she went and talked and sat down in the temple with her father. Whatever was said and done, she remembered every single thing. That's why it was overflowing. In fact, I only did a very small justice to that song. She's even referring to Abrahamic covenant in there. She's talking about the Noah's time in there. There's so much more to those verses that are there, but that's all showing the fact that Mary was soaked in the word. And you will never regret, I'm here this morning to let you know, you will never regret knowing the word of God. The scriptures will come alive when we go through the times of trouble. The scriptures will come alive in our down times, in the valley. The scriptures will come alive when we are in the mountaintop. The scriptures is all she had in her hand, and she was soaking herself, singing and praising God when she was staying in Elizabeth's house. The next characteristic of Mary, she's a patient woman. They had to travel in the ninth month of her pregnancy. They had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And next to time when they come, We'll talk about like why they are going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, okay? But the thing is this, uh, when we look at this verse, uh, we think like, oh my God, how would they have traveled through the desert? Because the distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem is about 70 miles. And if they had taken a different route, it could take up to 90 miles. And here is a pregnant woman. I don't know how many of you have given birth to a child that is on this line. Right? One of the hardest parts, and I have no idea what the pregnant woman goes, it's all a book knowledge, okay? But still, what I've heard is the ninth month of a baby birth 
is one of the toughest periods in the pregnancy because it's really hard for the the person to walk. Uh, everything looks heavy, right? And, and even lifting a pencil is just like a hardest thing. And so this is a ninth month, and they get a degree to go degree from the king to go from you know Nazareth to Bethlehem, traveling about ninety miles, sitting on a mule. And they would have traveled approximately, even if it is the best day in that desert, they could have traveled between 10 to 20 miles in a given day. It would have taken easily four to 10 days. Can you imagine? There's so many times she, wouldn't, she would need to take a bathroom break or something like that. They have to find a place to stay in the night and travel. But nowhere in the Bible we read that she was complaining. Nowhere that she was just losing her patience. She gave a birth to the king, but she did even more than giving a birth to the king. She carried herself. The characteristic of Mary is something that's amazing, fascinating. What happened was that there was a man named Mark Lowry. He was writing a, a, a song because um, Jim Falwell, um, the, the president of... Uh, Liberty University called this songwriter, Christian songwriter named Mark Lowry to write a song that can be sung uh, during the Christmas time, right? So his living Christmas tree in the campus of Lynchburg, uh, where the, um, you know, the Liberty University is, they wanted to have a song sung. And so Mark Lowry started to think about like uh, the Christmas story and uh, what happened. But somewhere during that time when he was talking to his mom, his idea of like a Christmas story went after Mary because her, his mom said, if anyone on earth knew for sure that Jesus was a, a virgin born, Mary knew. Right? That was very profound for him. It just like bothered him, but at the same time, he was fascinated by Mary. And so he also knew that his Mary was there at the birth, and he knew that she was there in the Calvary. And when he was writing about this song, he says at the cross on Mount Calvary, while Jesus was dying, her silence was a great testimony to the fact of who he was and is. He said to them, when you have seen me, you have seen my father. Of course, for this, this particular statement that he made, for this, they nailed him on a cross and his mother never said a word. She was standing there. And so this songwriter, Mark Lowry, wanted to ask questions to Mary. And so he wrote all these questions in a paper. Yeah, and then he wanted to somehow, someday, want to find Mary and ask this question. And that question is what turned into a song called Mary, Did You Know? When you get a chance in the next couple of days, if you have access to an internet, I want you to go search for this song named Mary, Did You Know? And here's how some of the words are going. It says, Mary, this is a question. Mark Lowry wanted to ask Mary, right? So he's asking, Mary, did you know that your son, your baby boy, would one day walk on a water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that was delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? He goes on to ask, Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels toured? Mary, did you know 
When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know that the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the deaf will raise, the lame will walk, the dumb will speak, the praise of the lamp? Mary, did you know? And he goes on to ask so many questions in that song. But here's what, uh, you know, he's asking. One of the questions is that the child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Did you know Mary? Right? I don't know whether Mary knew that her son will walk on the water on that night when she gave a birth to him. I don't know whether Mary knew at that point her son will actually storm the calm. I don't know whether Mary would have known that night that her son will actually turn the water into wine. That Mary would not have known that her son will one day will turn the blind to see, the deaf to walk, hear, the deaf to come alive, a lame to leap, and a dumb to speak. Mary would not have known that night an answer to any of these questions that Mark Lowry is asking, but she knows an answer to one question. One question that he asked in that song. A question is, this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Did you know that, Mary? And Mary knew that. And that's what she's singing in this song in verse 20, I mean 47 of Luke chapter 1, she's saying, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. The one person who knew that needed the Savior at that point. The one person that was appalled to know that she needed the Savior, irrespective of like what happens to her, is the Savior that's going to come out of her body. Really showed an amazing example throughout the Bible. And the thing is this, if we live our life like Mary, if we humble our life before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, if we soak ourselves in the scriptures, if we know that we need a Savior, then God will birth in you and me the Jesus even today. The vision and the dreams that he will birth in you and me. God is saying, if only I can find another Mary. He is looking back and forth for the Marys of this earth right now. God is not done with the birthing another vision, another dream in any one of us as long as we would live like a Mary. I don't think a Mary would have ever agreed to call herself a deity or someone that would give grace. Mary would have never done that. Her characteristic is not like that. She is a humble human soul that soaked herself in the Lord and in his word. And this is my prayer as we go into the Christmas season. We will look other characters, but look at this one character, because God has a message through every one of these characters that he has placed in that nativity scene. He is not done with birthing another baby in another Mary. He is the God of the impossible, and you and I have an ability today to allow the God of this universe to clean ourselves so another baby boy that carries just like how Jesus was carrying can be birthed even today. As we go into this Christmas season, I'm asking you to just like get yourself into the mode of humbling yourself and soaking yourself in the word and just know that God is going to birth in you another Jesus. And I'm going to ask, and I talked about this uh, on Friday night as well. People oftentimes take time to write about their resolution on the 31st of December because they hear that in TV. They hear
hear that in radio, and they hear that in all these places today. I want you to remember what you want to do next year, the vision that you're going to ask God to birth in you. Write it down in a piece of paper. And, and just like I put everything that you want to write down in that paper, and just on the 31st of December, I want you to put that into an envelope. Seal that envelope and leave it in your prayer closet. And next year, same time, I want you to open that one. In fact, I haven't really figured this out how I would give, I would post my address for you. And you can send that letter to me posted. I wouldn't open up because I want to send it back to you one year from now so that you can see what God has done in your life. And the thing is this, this is a love letter that you want to write for your king about the vision. So take time the next two weeks to allow God to birth in you another Jesus and write it and put it into an envelope and seal it. I'm telling you this morning, my God would give what you have asked. If you haven't received what you have asked, you would have received better than what you have asked. This morning, as we go into the, to the communion, I'm going to be asking you to think about this. You are the Mary that Jesus is looking for today. Amen. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, rebellion, or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and lives, and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid covers us for all time, and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life abundant life now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take this cup representing your blood poured out from a splinted cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 On the, the verses that says in First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the elements of bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, the cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the drink. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Bible goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread, 
and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. But you that has taken this blood this morning and the bread in the new covenant that God has established, he's just going to soak in you and me the freshness as we remember him. Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning. For all my brothers and sisters that is on this line, God, give us this period in time a great, Father God, a heart to just like look at you, Father God, to look at what you have done when you stepped out from heaven to come down and spend your days on earth. How, Father God, it's even possible for a God to just like a take his form and just like a transform it into the body of a human and live and uh, Father God breathe. Father, we are so thankful this morning as we remember you, Father God, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your birth as we celebrate, Father God, let our hearts be filled with joy and happiness. Father God, that nobody can take it away from us. Father, give us the heart to humble ourselves during this season. Help us to soak ourselves in the word and know that we need you, Father God, in the days and years to come. Father, we surrender ourselves into your mighty hands. As you take the glory and honor, in Jesus' name I pray. Father, for your glory. Amen. The conference has been unmuted. Praise the Lord. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Mm. And we will see each other, if you are able to, on Thursday night, the Mm -hmm. 24th, the Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. We're just going to have a Christmas service. Amen. 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 Have a blessed week. Thank, thank you very you much. Too. Thank you. Thank you. Are we going to do it well received? Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Zero. Yes. Are we doing a Zoom on Christmas Eve? Yeah, the Google Meet. Google Meet. Yes. I'm going Google to send the, yeah, yeah, the OTV okay. line, Miss Venda. I will send it out this morning. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Y'all have a great day. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.